Well, good evening. Isn't it great to just gather together in the middle of the week with family and friends to worship God and then also to hear a message on our potential? So I'm glad that you guys are here. And we're going to actually give you another opportunity. This Friday, we are hosting a movie. It's called The Case for Christ. And it's a wonderful story about a man who was just searching. And he wanted to know the truth about Jesus. Now, we all have friends that are in that position, right? Some of them, they don't know Jesus, but they're interested. Or others who are, I've heard about this Jesus. I've seen the change in your life. Could you give me more information? This movie on Friday night is a non-threatening way to invite them to come see the story and then start a dialogue among yourselves about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and how it affects your and their eternity. Now, some things you may want to know about the night is we will have a concession available if you want to purchase hot dogs or hamburgers or snacks. Or if you want to bring dry snacks from home, go ahead and do that. Uh, we do have child care available. We ask that you register your child ahead of time so that the um, children's ministry can prepare. And there's a $3 per child charge for that, okay? And um, the dinner and the thing. And no van rides because our youth will be using the vans that evening. So that is a great night. Come, invite your family, invite your friends, and help them to know the future that is available to them through Jesus. Also, we're going to get ready to receive the tithes and offerings if the ushers will get ready. You know, we just celebrated baptism. And this past Sunday, over 30 people made a public declaration. That's right. We can celebrate that. <laughs> 30 people made a public declaration of their faith in Jesus. And, you know, I love seeing that kind of thing. I love seeing people that were getting baptized in the water. And then afterwards, I loved being at Coconut Island and watching everybody just get together. They were fellowshipping. They were talking. They were connecting. They were having fun. And I was thinking, man, God, this is so good. Can we just stay here forever? And then I thought, you know what? We get this forever. That's what eternity is going to be like. We get forever to fellowship, to celebrate, to honor God. And we get to get people ready for that by sharing hope, by sharing truth, by sharing love. And when we bring offerings and we bring tithes, we're actually participating in that, in, in that for um, bringing forth of the gospel, the bringing forth of God's word. We're partnering with God in making a way for people to hear and experience Jesus' hope. Now, if you're here for the first time, that's not something you have to do. You can hear the message that God has for you. If you're from another church, your tithes belongs there, I get that. But giving is something we get to do if we want to. But if New Hope is your home church, then this is where we get to say, Lord, I, I am with you. I'm participating in the eternity that you see, not just for me, but for those around me. And so I'm giving out of a heart of obedience, a heart of faith, and a heart of hope in a future. Would you bow your heads? And let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to give to your kingdom and for the potential that you release in us and in others. So, Lord God, would you receive what we bring to you? Would you receive the tithes and the offerings? And would you bless it so that others would know that there is an eternal hope and glory for them? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Marsha. So this Friday, hopefully you'll be here and it's going to be a great night. Tonight, as I talked about earlier, we're going to be talking about this thing called potential. Every single person has potential. Did you know that? And God put that inside of all of us. And we've been in this series called Potential. And as we talk about this thing called potential, I want you to think about where you were. Maybe, I don't know your age. So let's just take, let's just say 25% of your life where you were. Let's just say you're, I'll take a, a, a good, like a 40-year-old. So at 40 years old, take a 25%. 25% of 40 is 10. So write 10, right? Okay, I'm just checking. So think about where you were at 10 years old. So just take a 25% take a of your life and, and think of where you were at that age in life. And what are some things that stand out to you? Now, there may be some good things. There may be some negative things. There may be some tough times. There may be some great times. But that, at that stage of life, 
you, you are 25% of the way to where you are today. At that age where you were, I'm sure you could not fathom where you would be today. Maybe you had dreams, maybe you had aspirations, maybe right now you're 12 years old and you're thinking, I was four, so now I don't remember, or three years old, I, was, I don't remember anything. So we all have, at certain stages of our life, certain memories, certain key things that were happening. Jesus is going to give us a story that he, he breaks it down into four different areas, and we're going to be looking at a story of the sower and the seed. And the reason why I wanted to choose 25% is because that's one of the areas of the four soils. There's a 25% of a chance that we'll be in this category. There are certain categories that Jesus will outline for us that will help us to understand reaching our fullest potential. Uh, if you have your church app, you can take that out because you can take notes on that. Uh, if not, you can write down or, or do whatever you need to to remember certain things. And whenever God speaks something to you, the Bible says, for he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, when God points something out and when you sense the Holy Spirit speaks something to you, it's like one of those moments that you say, oh, that's so good. Write it down because God is specifically saying something. People will come up to me often and they'll say, you know, when, when you spoke that message, it was exactly what I needed to hear. I mean, we've heard that. We, we've been in those positions before. We've felt that before. Why? Because God sees our life from beginning to end. And whenever we open up the word of God and open our hearts to him, he speaks to us. But if we have a closed heart, even though he's speaking, we won't hear his voice. So that's kind of the theme tonight where God wants to bring us. And we'll be in Matthew chapter 13. So you can turn there, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And by the way, let's be Bible-carrying people. I know we're in a technological age where we have phones and things like that. And if you have your Bible on your phone, that's great. But if you carry a Bible and you have one at home, uh, it should not have dust on it. It should not have, you know, any t type of thing like that. If anything, there should be dust or, or crumbs inside because you spend so much time in the Word. You eat breakfast with the Word of God. You, you have coffee with the Word of God. So let's use our Bibles. So this story, the sower and the seed, it's, it's such a... a a wonderful allegory that Jesus brings that he's talking to a group of people who are mostly farmers. And they dealt with this kind of uh, mentality all day long. They, they understand what Jesus is talking about. So the context of the story being an, 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 an allegoric uh, situation as he's speaking to the people, they can understand what he's saying when it comes to the sower and the seed. But we're going to find out that the disciples had a little bit of a struggle. And part of the reason why they had a little bit of a struggle is because the disciples, when they began to follow Jesus, had a vision of what life could be like. And it was the wrong vision. They were trying to understand what Jesus was saying. But along the way, they're, they're learning this and they're saying, well, why is this happening or what, what did you mean by this? So along the way, they're trying to tweak what they have envisioned in their mind with what Jesus is actually saying and what he's doing. In other words, what Jesus is trying to do and what the disciples were trying to do were totally opposite. These guys were trying to fulfill a vision that they had in their mind on who they were becoming. What Jesus was doing is he was trying to maximize their potential. The disciples had a vision. Yeah, they, I think we all have a vision for our life. But Jesus has a maximum potential vision for our life. In other words, we cannot out, we, we can never out-vision and out-maximize Jesus' potential for us. We can, and in fact, the Bible says he can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could possibly ever imagine or dream of. Why? Because he knows how to maximize the potential that he first gave to us. So everyone has potential, but what Jesus wants to do is he wants to maximize that potential. We all have a purpose in life, but with that purpose comes God's given potential. Potential means this, having or showing the capacity to become or develop into something for the future. So it's, it's future-minded. That's what potential is. It's thinking of the future. Oh, yes, we all have a past. We have a present. But potential is constantly thinking about our future. Sometimes we can get wrapped up in the present because of all the things that take place in life, things that aren't going well, 
situations that happen that, that rock us and it throws us into another direction that we never thought we would have gone into. But what Jesus brings is he says, but that doesn't change your potential. It doesn't change the fact that I've given you a purpose and that I can help you reach your fullest potential. Yeah, but life is tough. This is bad. Finances are hard. We got to pay taxes this year. Uh, the, the dog is feeling sick. Now we have to take the dog to the vet. So now that's a couple hundred dollars. Like things just happen along the way. And then we feel like we're not reaching our fullest potential. It's almost like Jesus is going to teach us that no matter where you are in life, it's not how you feel and what you go through, it's who you turn to. And in this story, I, I love how he, he, he gives us a clear picture of what takes place. Because I think here in Hawaii or wherever you grew up, I think we all understand farming. We all understand about plants and, and uh, fruit trees and things like that. In fact, when I was younger, this was, maybe I was 10, I was about, about 10 years old. Uh, we had this pasture in the back of our house, and this is while I was growing up in Waimanalo, and there was this pasture in the back where we would play and ride horses and climb trees and do things like that. Well, there was this one shack that was near some, some uh, uh, like, a, like a farm, and I don't know what they were planting, maybe tomatoes or things like that. So well, there was this piece of land, and there was this one shack, and when you're a little kid, everything is adventurous. So we, we thought, what is in that shack? So we went into the shack, and they had a lot of tools and seeds and things like that, and it was for their farm, I guess. And it was a, a small shack, so it was for their farming. But they had little picks. It was like little, little tiny picks, and they had shovels and things like that. So we borrowed it, and then we went to my house, and because it's pasture land, the soil is very soft because in pastures, you have cows. And when you have cows, you have cow things, and you have horses and horsey thingies. <laughs> so you have, so that's why the grass is so green in the pasture. So the soil was really good. We found a couple of corn seeds, and we thought, let's plant corn. Now, we didn't, we didn't think of it's not going to happen. We just knew it could because these were seeds, and out of seeds would grow corn. But we didn't know how to plant them, and we wanted to do them correctly. What we didn't want to do is just throw them in the ground and cover them up. No, we were farmers now. We had tools, and we had a vision. So we went to the library. And back in those days, you had to walk to a library that had all the books. Now you can just pull it up on your phone and read these things. And we still have libraries. So we went to the library, and I, I found a book on how to plant corn. And it was a little orange book. And it was about maybe five inches by four inches. It was a small little book. So we read the book. And basically what it said was you first need to uh, put the seed in like napkins and water so that it can germinate. So that once you start to see the roots coming out and a little bit of the leaf, and they gave us a time frame, once that starts to happen, now you can start planting. And they said to have it certain, uh, I, I believe it was 18 inches or a foot apart or something like that, and six inches this way, or I forget what the rows were like, but basically what they gave us was a, a, a system and a schematic of what it should look like. So we got all of these seeds, and we planted them in the ground, and then we covered them up. We didn't even need fertilizer because we were in the pasture. The whole pasture is fertilizer. So we put that in, and after a while, we would, you know, we'd water it, and after a while, we would see the little shoot come up, and it got us excited. And so we're thinking, tonight we're going to eat corn. That's what we're thinking. We're going to have corn tonight. Well, when you're 10 years old, you don't know that you have to wait like six weeks or something like that. So after the initial excitement of seeing the little shoots come up, we, we just kept watering it and watering it. And then every day, every day, we'd be like, how come there's no corn? Where? Where is the corn? And we look at the picture of the, the, the packet of the, the seeds that had the picture on it, and you had the ear of corn. Or, and, and so you, you knew that that's what it's supposed to look like, but there was nothing of that. And then after some time, one day we saw like a tiny little one, and you want to harvest it because it's like, well, I got corn, it's so good. But we know, we know we had to wait. So we waited and waited and waited, and then at the proper time, we harvested our corn. And this was, this was like one of, the, one of the greatest moments in my family's history of food because we grew up on welfare. We didn't have that much, and we loved corn. 
I think it was called niblets. It was a canned corn, and we had one every so often, and we savored that for great moments. So we had, we had canned corn, but this one we grew in our own yard. So when we harvested the corn, and the book taught us how to peel the, the ears off, and then ears, right? Husk. Well, it's the ear of corn. So I, anyway, so it taught us how to do that and then how to cut it off and then to boil it and how to, how to cook it. And my mom was so stoked. She was so happy. She kept saying this. She kept saying, Sheldon, I can't believe you grew this in our yard. I said, I know, Mom. It's amazing. It's, I mean, this is, we don't even have to buy corn anymore. I mean, well, that was the only time we did that because it was a lot of work and then we had to replant. I was like, I'm, I'm done farming. It took, and it took too long to wait for this corn. But that night, we enjoyed the corn. It was just that, that simple. And my mom said, we're not just going to eat corn just like that. We have to add two things. What is it? Butter and salt. And that thing was good. It was good. We harvested more than what we began with. Isn't it amazing that this one tiny seed can produce all of that corn? One seed. The principle that God is going to teach us is how magnificent he is at bearing fruit. In Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to read from verses 1 through 23. And it begins like this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables or stories, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. So it's like Jesus is causing them to lean in a little bit. And he's saying, I'm going to let you know what I was just talking about. And he says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. 
But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So here's the, here's the interesting thing about God. He, he, he gives us an illustration. He gives us an, an, an allegory, a, a picture, a story of what takes place when he plants seed. Can I move this more over here? I'm going to. Okay. So in Israel, what, what they would do is they would have land and they would have sections. Kind of like, I mean, today we still have the same thing. If, if you do farming, you have sections. So these sections, what did I just do? Okay, sorry, wrong one. Okay, so basically you had these paths here, these walking paths, where the farmer, and they would share the walking path, where they would walk because the crops were here. This is where they would plant, all in this area. And they would cultivate the soil. So they would plow the soil. But the problem was the plow could not plow every square inch in these corners. So when they would turn around the plow would miss these corners. So you'd have these corners like this, and you'd just miss that area. And you can see that even still today. When we visited Israel, we looked at some of the farms and some of the crops. They still missed certain areas. And in these areas, you see weeds growing up. And they don't really care about this area because that's not where they're going to harvest. And over here is where they have a lot of the thorns that come up. In this area, right along the side of the path, is where there are a lot of rocks. So this is like the rocky soil on the, right on the side. On the path where they would walk, and this is another crop, this is another person's one, right along the path where they would walk, because of their walking, they compacted the soil so much that it was hard. So even if seed fell on this soil, it was just hardened. That's where the birds came, and the birds ate the seed. It's a big bird. It's like a goose. That's a, that's a minor bird. So they had these birds <laughs> come up. I don't know. How can I draw a bird? Sorry, my art is not that great. Okay. So you had the birds come, and they snatched away uh, the seeds that were on the side. Then you had this rocky soil. This is where the Bible says they, they, they sprung up. But the problem was because of the shallow soil, it wasn't in, a good, in good condition to have deep roots. So when it came up and the sun started to shine, it, it scorched it. So it, it didn't last that long. And then you had, of course, this soil. And this is the good soil. So you have the thorns. Thorns like Thor. Okay, thorns. I'm not promoting the movie. So thorns, good soil, and you had rocky soil right on the side. So rocky. And then you had, I'll just put it right here. You had the hard soil. So you had these four different conditions. Now here's what is interesting. This whole entire area same soil, right? Same place, same pasture, same land, same soil. They're just in different conditions, which makes their receptivity to seed also different in how it's going to turn out. Now, we all know which soil we need to be. And which one is it? The good soil. That's where we want to be. So we have that kind of vision, and, and Jesus gives us that vision for our life. He says you're going to produce 30, 60, even 100-fold what was first what you first began with, that seed that was sown. So he gives us a picture of, of what it could look like. And these four soils and what your surroundings are play a big part in maximizing your potential. And knowing that this is where he wants us to be gives us now a clear picture of where we don't want to be. Because not knowing or knowing where you shouldn't be is just as important as where we should be or knowing where we should be. So eliminating where we know we shouldn't be is part of this process of maximizing our potential. 75% 75, 75 of the, the time will be, will be us figuring out where we don't belong for a while. That's why we, we call it temptations. Like we fall into temptation. Why? Because it's, it's three times as much as what is supposed to be happening. 
75% that surrounds us compared to the 25% that where we should be is kind of like life. That we battle with more things than we do the good things. But here's what Jesus is wanting us to understand. That even though there are a lot of things around us, surrounding us that could go bad or things that do go bad, things that do go wrong, things that we're not prepared for, things that happen in life. He's saying, if, you're, if your soil is good, if the soil of your heart is good, what will be produced will far outweigh anything else that is not happening in your life. When, they, when, when, you, when you harvest and you enjoy the harvest, you're not concerned about all of the other soils at that point. And once you understand the 30, 60, 100-fold of that blessing and you, and you capture that, then you, you think less of these areas and more of, how can I do this again? How can I, how can I do this? Lord, I, I, I did come to church. You did speak to me. How do I do that again? How do I, how do I, how do I stay close to you? How do, I, how do I stay consistent in your word? How do, I, how do I worship like how I did last week? How do, I, how do I stay in that relationship with you? Because this is happening. Yes, I understand that, but this, Lord, is so good. As the Bible says, taste and see how good the Lord is. Once we have that, then it gives us an, a, a more accurate picture of, okay, now I can continue on. And it's not cookie cutting. It's not repeating the process and in the hopes that this happens again. It's learning the principles behind the sower and the seed. Because that's what he's doing in our, our lives. He's, he's, he's maximizing our potential. And the story here is about the four different conditions of our soil, of our heart of the hearer. That's why he says, for he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, you're going to go through these conditions. You, all of us will have four different conditions in our life. We're always going to have this. These don't go away. They're always there. But if we're focused on this, then these areas are, are not going to really matter. There will always, it, will, it will always be there. We can't get rid of them. But what we can do is we can cultivate this soil so that it becomes good soil. So let's take a look at a couple things. The condition, the path. This path right here, is this, this is where the seed got eaten. Now remember what it says, that the seed got eaten? What happened? This is where the seed was sown, but because they could not understand, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So the seed got eaten, and those who hear it immediately gets taken away. Why? Because there's no understanding. So this, this one area of the path, this is where the seed is also falling. So it's going to fall on hardened soil, but because of lack of understanding, the seed gets taken away. The other area is the rock. Is the rock. This is where it withered away because there was no root. These are, these are times where we hear the word of God, we hear it with joy, but we're not persistent we're not consistent in following through with what the Lord has asked of us. We hear it with joy. We're thankful. We say, yes, I love it. I, I call this rocket ship fire. You know, when you first come to know the Lord or God does something in your life, you're like, oh, I want to do everything for God. Oh, where can I serve? I'm going to come up here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I'll be here first thing in Sunday morning. It's like we're so, we call it on fire. And so we have that rocket ship fire, and, and God bless us when we go through that. It's like, yes, let's do this. And we go, go, we go straight on. We, we, do, we go full force for six days, and then we're burnt out. Or we go strong for three months, and then we're burnt out. We go strong for six months, a year, and then we start to trickle away. That's the rocket ship fire that we go through. But Jesus gives us a better way. It's persistence. It's not having some rocket ship fire that just burns off on takeoff. It's like having like, a, like the sun kind of fire. It's consistent. And it's, it's just, it's always there. It's just consistent. It's not flashy in any way. It's not trying to outshine something else. It just, it's what it is. It's not trying to make itself look better than any other sun or any other planet. It is what it is. 
And so it is when we come to know Christ or when God speaks something to us. We, as the Bible says, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that becomes our fire, as it were. So someone once said it to me like this. They said, when I go away to this one place, and I, I think it was a, either a camp or a church somewhere, they said, when I visit there, I feel like I'm on fire, but then when I come home to my church, I don't feel like I'm on fire. I said, well, tell me about it then. They said, well, because the worship is like this, the, the message is like this, the, the people are like this. I said, okay, I, I got that. But when you come home, you don't feel like you're on fire? They, he said, yeah. I said, okay, maybe what you might be struggling with is an exterior fire that ignites you. He said, what do you mean? I said, if you have to go somewhere to catch fire, that's where you went wrong. You think going somewhere makes you catch fire. Now, nothing wrong with visiting or conferences or things like that. That's great because we can learn. But we make the mistake of thinking that wherever you go to catch fire is where you catch fire. But the Bible doesn't teach us that. The Bible teaches us, here, here it is, we become the fire. You don't go somewhere to catch fire. You go to the Lord and become the fire. As the Bible says, when you light your lamp, you don't put it under a basket. No, you go into the world so that everyone can see that fire. So you become that fire. Instead of going somewhere to be ignited, when you're the fire, wherever you go, you ignite whatever it is. That's who we're supposed to be. So when Jesus says, oh, that, that shallow soil, that, that, that inconsistency is an indication that we don't have that fire as who God has called us to be. We're not at that place where we become the fire. It's not a personality. It's not how loud we are or how much scripture we memorize. It's just we become that. That Jesus is making us to be more like him. Our God is a consuming fire. And he says, now you go and you shine your light into the world. That's who he's making us to be. That's what it means to maximize your potential. It's just understanding who we are in Christ. And it's actually not our fire. It is his. That third area, the thorns. This is where the, the plant got choked out. And because of this, the, the thorns, these are people who may hear the, the Lord's voice, but because of many other conflicting voices, it chokes out the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. So you're going you're gonna to hear the Lord, but instantly you're going to hear other voices. No, that's not, you, you're not able to do that. Well, who do you think you are? No, you're not able to accomplish that. You didn't even have an education. Oh, do you know your past? Do you know your history? Oh, but look at what you're doing right now. So you're going to hear all of these voices, and you're going to hear the negativity that comes your way, not people. Because the moment I say there's negativity, instantly you say, oh, yeah, this person, this person, this person. No, no, I'm not talking about people. Because we were not against flesh and blood. We were against the spiritual principalities of the unseen world, the dark forces. So whenever there's negativity coming your way, it's not about the person. It's just those things that happen in our life that surround us in the spiritual realm. So when Jesus says, oh, you're going to have the thorns come up, and yes, you're going to have other voices come your way, it's going to choke you out. And you're going to feel those thorns. They're going to stab at you. But then that one area that we want to be in is the good soil. And this is where it produced a crop greater than where it began. That is the best news ever, that God is able to take us from one place to the next and increase our potential. He's the only one who can do that. He maximizes our potential that we're greater than where we first began. These are people who hear receive, and, uh, and act appropriately with the gospel. These are people who act upon what God has spoken. It's, it's just that simple. He says, these are the people who hear, hear my word, and then they act upon it. So who's involved in this story? We have four, four areas or four people as well as something, which is the soil, that are involved. You have the farmer. The farmer sows the word. 
Then you have the soil. The soil receives the word. But then you also have the devil, Satan, and he steals the word. John 10.10, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he came to steal what was sown. And then the last one is you and I. What? Three. Okay, three, four. So the last one is the person, you and I. So in this story, you have the farmer, the soil, the devil, and the person. That is you and I. It's the person who hears the word. We need to hear the word. And when we hear the word, we're able to now walk in a direction that we can maximize our potential. See, we can all maximize our potential by putting into practice these four principles that we're going to look at. I want to ask you a question first. In this story, who does the seed belong to? In this story, it's the farmer, right? Now, the farmer is the one that sows the seed. Does the soil own the seed? No. So the soil is not responsible for the seed. The farmer in in this story represents God. He's the sower. He sows the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, Jesus Christ. So God gave us his one and only son who came to speak life into us. It's amazing that we still listen to everything else that doesn't speak life into us. But the very one that God sent to us, his one and only son who speaks life into us, that's the one we have a difficult time hearing. And you might be thinking, you know, I don't have a difficult time hearing Jesus. We'll, we'll see that we do have a difficult time hearing Jesus because it starts with this. Number one, potential starts with Jesus. This is where our potential starts because the seed belongs to Jesus. It is his seed. It's his word. And unless the word of God penetrates our hearts, we remain in seed form at best. We just remain in seed form at best. Romans 10, 17 tells us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's his words. And here's, here's why we struggle with hearing his word. It's reading the Bible. Isn't it amazing that the one area that produces good fruit we have the most difficult time with? It's hearing his word. It's spending time in the word. We probably spend more time on social media than we do the word. And we wonder why we struggle. The Word of God is the only thing in this story that will produce this when it's on good soil. It's the Word of God. That's the whole point to this story. It's the seed that is sown. Without the seed that is sown, it doesn't matter how good your soil is or how bad it is, nothing happens without the seed. You can cultivate the soil all day long and say, oh, I love God, I love God. But but if He's not speaking to us, we're not hearing His Word, we can look good but we produce nothing. Oh, we can come to church. We can, do, we can even fellowship with each other. We can worship God. We can do all of these things. But if we don't get into the word of God, we never produce fruit in our lives. This is the only way that we can produce a crop 30, 60, 100 fold. Nothing wrong with attending church. Nothing wrong with worshiping God. That's, that's great. But if you want to bear fruit, this is the only way. It's the word of God. There's no other way in this story that we can find or find a loophole that says, oh, I can do it this way. I can go around that. No, there's no other way. It has to be the word of God. In verse uh, verse 3, Matthew chapter 13, then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. It's his seed. The farmer went out to sow his seed. The farmer didn't go out to sow your seed and say, "This, this belongs to you. No, this is This is his seed. It's his word. His word is precious. His word is priceless. So it has to start with Jesus. The second thing is, this this is a principle that we must stand by, is to stay teachable. To stay teachable. That's difficult as human beings because we like knowing and we like teaching. But the Bible tells us to stay teachable. Proverbs 9.9 says to instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. So if you're a wise person and someone is trying to teach you and you learn, do you lose your wisdom? No. You gain more. However, if we're unteachable, as wise as we may be, 
Then people may say, wow, you're such a wise person. Here's some things that we want to teach you. No, 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 no. I'm wise already. You, we grow nothing from there. So when you're wise, it means you're teachable, not knowledgeable. So if you want to be a wise person, stay teachable. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So the Bible teaches us. It says that, well, we must be teachable. Why? Because it's inspired by God. God breathed. That's what he does. He breathes life into us. That's how Adam became a living being. Imagine that. God created us out of the dirt, out of the dust. In, in other words, God started farming long before we ever learned it. He took the soil, breathed his breath into it, and man became a living being. We have the word of God, and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction. But if we're not teachable, how can even the God of the universe teach us something if we're not teachable? But at the same time, if we are teachable, then God can speak into our lives, and then we can produce crops, 30, 60, 100-fold. We can bear fruit in our lives. The third thing that we learn is that we need to repent quickly. This principle of repentance, I think we tend to forget because we, we, we misconstrue being sorry and repentive. Sorry means I got caught and now I feel bad. Repentance means I don't, wait, I don't need to wait till I get caught. I'm going to change my way. That's what repent means. It means to change your mind. Metanuos. It means to change the way you think. And when God says to repent, in fact, John the Baptist was saying, repent, therefore the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, change your ways. You've got to change your ways. Why do I have to change my ways? Doesn't God love me just the way I am? Yes, he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to not see his full potential envisioned in your life. He sees who we're becoming, so he's saying, this is who you think you are, but this is who I see that you are. We got to change. Yeah, but accept me just as I am. I do accept you, but I love you too much to not get you here because this, at this life, you will love this. Oh, no, no, I love where I am. I don't need to change. No, no, no. You're going to want to change. Because when you get here, you're going to be thankful that you changed. And so he gives us that opportunity to repent and repent quickly. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 tells us, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, sometimes we think of repentance as I'm going to change the way I think, I'm going to change my mind, and I'm going to follow Jesus. That's great. But we tend to forget that we do this in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So we can change the way we think, but we got to be in the presence of the Lord. Well, how do you be in the presence of the Lord? I thought God was everywhere. Yes, he is. So and am I not always in the presence of the Lord? Well, let me just ask you this question. Can you be with your family physically at home and not be there? You can, right? I mean, we talk about phones that our families, you know, around us, our kids are saying, mommy, 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 mommy. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Daddy, 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 hang on. It's, it's like we're, we're, we're physically there, but we're not there. And this, this is not just this generation. Even growing up, you had daddy, 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 and they're sitting on the couch with the newspaper with a cigar. Yes, son, hang on. And they're just reading a newspaper. So something took our attention away from being present. And that's the same thing with God. His presence is always there. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So just because God is present doesn't mean we're in his presence. Because we're distracted. We're busy. We're doing something else. Isn't it amazing? I find this simply amazing that we take for granted that I can just stop at any given time and say, Lord, I want to be in your presence. I want to stop. I want to focus on you, Lord, right now. And it's so easy to forget that God is always there. He's amazing. And he waits for us. And he loves us even though we're not in his presence. We're in his presence, but we're not present. 
It's just simply, Lord, I want to be in your presence. Lord, I want to acknowledge that you're here. I, wanna, I want you to know that I know you're here, and I want to thank you for being here. I want to be in your presence. I want to step into your presence because that's where refreshing comes. It comes from being in the presence of the Lord. And then the last thing, and this one is the best one. Maybe the best one. But the, and the reason why I say the best one is because this is where it's going to help us. It's to evaluate and self-correct. To evaluate and self-correct. Or you might call it reflect. You may do reflection at the end of the day. You reflect on your day and you think about where, where could I have done better? How could I improve? Lord, help me to do better tomorrow. It, whatever, whatever it is, there must be some type of evaluation, some type of reflection, some type of self-correction. It was a psalmist, King David, who said this in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It's a famous scripture that we tend to hear every so often. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then he says this, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is you have full access into my life and into my heart, into the soil of my life. Search me. Just think about that prayer. If you want to pray a prayer of self-correction, this is the prayer to pray. In fact, this is, this is the prayer book of Jesus. Jesus prayed out of the Psalms. So think about us, all that we go through. To pray this prayer, Lord, search my heart. Know my heart. Test me. I mean, how often has we, have we said to the Lord, test me? We often say to him, Lord, help me pass this test. But to say, test me? We're now asking him to test us. We're giving him permission to test us. Lord, test me and then know my anxious thoughts. In other words, Lord, test me and then see what my thought process is. Lord, test me so that I may know my thought process. Test me so that I can, I can change the way I process things. Know my thoughts. And then, Lord, point out anything in me that offends you. Lord, is there anything in me that offends you? Is there anything in me that I'm trespassing against you? Is there anything in me, Lord? Point out anything in me. If you want to go deeper than this, if you want to be real, like tangible, and like, like really, um, like just a, uh, one, of those, one of those people who love challenges, then, then say, Lord, can you use my spouse to point out anything in me that offends you? Ooh, that one is good. So Heidi, I will point out anything in you <laughs> that offends God. <laughs> but if you were to say this to someone, point out anything in me that offends God, how much our lives could change for the better. We think of it as a, oh, that's a owe prayer. But no, it's a surgical owe prayer. It's a good prayer. But don't just walk around pointing out, you know, faults as you leave here tonight. Oh, I know your sins. I know your sins. Oh, I'm pointing out things in you. That offends God. That offends God. Oh, you're doing that. That offends God. No, no. It's a, it's a permissible point out in me what offends you, God. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. And although a difficult prayer, the end result is he's going to lead us along the path, not on the hardened path, but to everlasting life. That's how good our farmer is. Can we just have that kind of soil tonight to say, Lord, search me, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, but then lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's what it takes to cultivate the soil of our hearts so that when he sows the seed, it falls on good soil. Amen? Amen. Close your Bibles, put away notes, close your apps. And we're going to pray together tonight because we're going to need it. <laughs> Whew, it's a good one. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Lord, you've given us such a, a great example in yourself and how we are to be. You, you came before the Father. In fact, when you walked this earth, when you struggled with certain things, you went to the Father. Your heart was open. And, and you never strayed from your path. And when it looked like your potential was done on the cross, that was just a part of the germination process that the seed must die first before it lives. And you showed us that when we die to self and as we go through these moments, 
together with you, we're going to be able to produce 30, 60, 100-fold, more than where we began. So, Lord, if we have that hardened path, that hardened heart, can you soften us? If we have that rocky soil, Lord, can you sift through our hearts so that we could have better soil conditions? Lord, we're always going to have thorns around us. We're going to have the world around us. We're going to have different perspectives around us and even negativity that comes from the enemy. But even in that, Lord, we can have good soil that will produce fruit. Thank you for being that example for us. In fact, you took the thorns on your brow so that as we turn to you, thorns wouldn't, wouldn't bother us. You took that upon yourself. So no matter what is said, Lord, what matters most is what you're saying to us. And so we thank you for being such a good father who gives us the word. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, amen, amen. What a wonderful father. What a wonderful God. This Saturday, in fact, I just wanted to communicate this to you. This Saturday we have our, our forerunners, uh, our forerunners blast through the past. The reason why I bring this up is because our forerunners understand this whole, this whole process and if you are 55 and over, I want to I issue you a, it's not a challenge, it's more of an encouragement. That when you see the younger ones, the teenagers, can you just say a blessing over them? You don't have to, like, bless you. Just as you pass them by, you just say a blessing over them. That God would produce in them the good soil that would produce 30, 60, 100 fold. You are that generation that this next generation is looking to for that example. And although we celebrate this Saturday with our, our forerunners, we're, we're always, always the ones that God looks for as encouragers. So when you leave here tonight and you see the younger ones, and it's not an age thing, okay? It's just you know where you're at in life. And you have some experiences. You know God well. Bless the younger ones. And even say prayers over them when they pass by. Just say, Lord, bless this one. Bless this one. Lord, help that one in a good way. But we can do that, okay?